Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about fear and how that affects parenting. Enjoy the message. We're going to talk about fear and helicopter parenting today. So if you're a parent right now, this message is for you. If you're not a parent yet, this message will be for you. And if you've already been a parent, this is for you to pass on as we reach the next generation now. Because parenting, it's always a hot topic. And everybody said, everybody's an expert at it, sort of. But, we, but deep down inside, we, we know we're not, right? But let's talk about fear. And there's a reason why I'm beginning with fear. Fear is something that prevents us from going somewhere we ought to go. You probably have a phobia this morning on something. If we admit we have different types of fears. Uh, you can see that, that some fears are irrational or irrational, and some are just plain odd. Like, for instance, you see numbers on there. If you have the fear of numbers, it's called arithmophobia. If you're, a fear, uh, if you're afraid of uh, the moon... It's selenophobia. If you're afraid of youth, it's iphophobia. There you are, get off my lawn. Anutophobia is the fear of being single. And one of my favorites, I don't even understand why, but francophobia, you're afraid of France. So, yeah, those are the odd ones. Here are the top three that I think that maybe many of us in this congregation today would probably have. Uh, here's the top three, beginning with number three of the phobia is the uh, uh, acrophobia, it's the fear of heights. I always see that when they're building those tall buildings in New York in the 20s. I'm like, how do they do that? Ophthophobia is the fear of snakes. Ooh, snakes. I don't like snakes. I don't know if I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm scared of them. Uh, and the number one phobia of all people in America is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, okay? And like literally, I've seen people punch holes in the wall with their shoe trying to kill spiders. I'm like, this spider's little and you're huge and look what you did to your wall. Now, if you're, now, maybe some of you are like, wow, everything you've mentioned today, numbers, moon, I'm afraid of all those things. Well, they have, they have a term for that. If you're afraid of everything, it's called panophobia. All right, so. But what about more meaningful fears? Fears of your future. If you're single, fears that maybe, you know, what's going to happen in a future marriage? Or if you're married right now and you don't know what's going to happen to your kids or your marriage, or, or if your kids are out of the home and, you're, and you fear just life, you fear uh, the aging process. Uh, but there's always a season of new fears and legitimate like concerns. Uh, but what happens is this fear is natural and it's neutral. It's what we do with them. It's what we do with our fears. And if we let fears control us, uh, they'll manifest in a way of maybe a harmful addictions or phobias or just avoiding what maybe God is calling you to do. So I want to say uh, this main point, and then we're going to go into uh, scripture uh, to take a look at why fear can be so debilitating. Here's our main point. Fear undermines, but, str- but trust strengthens. Fear undermines, but trust strengthens. Fear is a natural mo- emotion, like I said. It's, it's neutral by itself. It, but it's what we do with fear that can dominate and rule our lives. Should we fear that gardener snake? Or that spider in the wall? Should it send us into a state of unchecked panic? God is full of love and mercy. And when we, listen, here's the thing. If we need, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. We're to fear God, right? Not to fear him like, oh no, we can't have a relationship. But, but fear in a sense that we understand that he's in charge and I'm not. We understand that this is his church, Right? And so fearing him is understanding a proper attitude of who God really is and who we are. I fear, I fear a hot burner on the stove. I don't want to touch it. I fear it. I respect it. But we want to talk about irrational fear this morning. Because behind every irrational fear is a fear of rejection, failure, or losing control. So fear undermines, 
but trust strengthens. And the Bible has a lot to say about fear. The Bible has a lot to say, what we're going to talk about later is parenting. And I think maybe some of you know why I'm starting with fear, okay? So let's take a look at this. First John 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in the love abides in God, and God abides in him. But this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Here's our main verse this morning. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Another way of putting this verse is that fear worships the past and acts irrationally in the present. You see, we always look at the past as rose-colored, even if they're difficult situations at home or whatever. We fear the future. If we can take the past or even the present, at least we have some control in that. But fear is really the loss of control, and in the future we feel like we have no control. And so if you feel like you have no control in your future and you're being guided by that, you will begin to act irrationally in your present. We are afraid of things because we think they may harm us or we fear because we are afraid we're going to miss out. The only thing we should fear is living life apart from the giver of life, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the one thing we should fear. But verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love don't want to get into all of this, but I do want to say the word love has really lost its meaning. We could say that I love a sports team, I love a piece of pizza, and I love my spouse. What in the world, right? We've really lost what love means and what love is. In the original language, love was a number of words that describe very different things. You could have a lustful love, you could have a brotherly love, or you could have a pure, uh, uh, pure love that's only found in God. In fact, the Bible says this pure love, agape love, is found in Jesus. It's found in God. God is agape. God is love. And so we want to love out of a heart that is pure, that is a God love. He's the perfect love, the perfect example. So again, knowing this, perfect agape, so we're using that's that pure love. It's not the love that we'd have for a sandwich or a love that's just because of a feeling or a lust love. Perfect love, the love of Jesus, casts out fear. He casts out fear. You see, fear that is irrational, fear that keeps you from doing what God wants you to do, is not from God. It's either from yourself or worse yet, the enemy. This perfect love is found only in a relationship with Christ, trusting in Christ as the perfect love over your life, your family situations, disarms fear. Because we see later on in verse 18, for fear has to do with punishment. We feel that if something doesn't happen in light of our fear, something's going to happen to our life. It disarms who you are in Christ. If you've made Jesus Christ your Savior, your identity is in Jesus. Nothing can shake that. Nothing can take you from his hand, the Bible says. But yet when we live by fear, we forget our identity. We forget the reality of who we are in Jesus. But when you place your faith in Christ, no situation, hardship, person, even all the possibilities of trouble could take away the fact that you are a son and daughter of Christ if you've placed your faith in him. But when we fear and forget about the hope of Jesus, 
it's because of two realities. Number one, it could be that you've never personally made Jesus Christ your Savior. Secondly, it may be that you've forgotten that Christ abides in you and he casts out all fear through his love. Fear undermines, but trust strengthens. In Christ, there is hope for tomorrow, but fear takes a person back in a sense of punishment. When fear controls, it leads us to irrational emotions that lands us into crazy land conclusions. And most importantly, our fears, uh, we no longer see the light at the end of that tunnel. We no longer see who we are in light of the love of Jesus Christ. For the follower of Christ, you are a child of God. But when you let fear control your life, it enters a space that only the Holy Spirit is meant to abide, and that's your soul. When fear enters your soul, you can no longer take the promises of Jesus. You can no longer see the mission with clarity. You can no longer live a life that's set apart for him. What's really important is when you have fears, and it could be fear that's related to parenting, or this could just be fear on anything else. It could be the fear of snakes. I don't know. But you must speak truth to yourself. When fear is in the driver's seat, uh, fear is not allowing you to hear from the words of God, hearing the word of God. We want the word of God. We want Jesus to control our life. We want the Holy Spirit to capture our life, push our life, control our life, and and send us to, uh, to destinations that only God can send us. But fear prevents that. So we must speak truth to ourselves. You might even need to go in front of the mirror and tell it to yourself. This is why speaking scripture to yourself, speaking the truth of God to yourself is so vitally important. So here's some verses that you can speak to yourself. If you have been uh, just stricken with fear or phobias or, or, or the love of God seems so distant. 1 John 4, 4. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oftentimes we hear the lies from the enemy. And the lies of the enemy seem so true. They seem so powerful. But remember this. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, period. When you tell yourself this, you're disarming those thoughts in your mind from taking control of a space that only the Holy Spirit is supposed to abide in. Second verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That means in prayer, you can go to God over and over and over again with your anxieties, with your fears. Proverbs 14, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. And so when, I, when I'm stricken with fear, God, I have strong confidence with you. I am confident you're in control. I am confident that right now I, I want to listen to you. I know that you, you, you tell me to fear not. You tell me to listen, and, and you tell me that I have a hope in you and a promise. God, I will fear not. I will cast my anxieties on you because greater are you, God, than he who is in the world. If you've made Jesus Christ your Savior and live in the power of his Holy Spirit, you can go places fear tells you you cannot go. We want to be led by the voice of God, not by fear, not by our earthly desires or our preferences. Our existence transcends 80 plus years, 90 plus years on this planet. But listen, we will spend eternity somewhere. And if you personally placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be shaken. No fear can rob you of that. Fear undermines, but trust strengthens. But fear is one of the biggest roadblocks to relationships in this life. Last week, we talked about just generally uh, uh, self-centeredness in light of marriage. But did you know fear is a great hindrance in marriage as well? We often fear of letting down our spouse. Couples fight. 
some better than others. <laughs> so, but remember, couples fight. Um, and we will talk about in our final week uh, how to manage and fight right. Our spouse is meant to complement us. They do not complete us. Only Christ is the one that can complete us. Only Christ, we can find our satisfaction and our wholeness. And when we find our satisfaction in Christ, we can begin to serve our spouse as Christ has served us. So, fear, we fear letting down our spouse. But you know what another fear I hear oftentimes? is people losing their children. Parents and future parents, listen up. We are in an era where parenting is difficult. Not because the world is necessarily a more dangerous place, it's, it's not but that our lives are on full display for all to critique. Instead of kids having just direct influences at school, they say that typically a person can have 30 friends or acquaintances and maybe about three or four really good friends. But today with the advent of social media, the average student today has 800 online friends and it's growing. 800. And within the social media community, they are littered with so-called journalism. Listen, journalism wasn't good before, but now anybody can write an article and it can seem real and people and students share these articles and oftentimes they are moralless, they're godless, and they lack any journalistic integrity, but they're shared. Some of you even have the irrational fear of maybe your children dying before you. Listen, if your child's otherwise healthy, that fear is not from the Lord. This fear is not from God. You need to give that anxiety to him today. Some of you may be trying to have kids, and, and if that's you, we'd love to pray with you that you may indeed have kids someday, if that is your heart's desire. Listen, caring about and knowing what your kids are doing or your grandkids are doing, setting standards, and most importantly, teaching them about who God is, is not helicopter parenting, is not being overbearing in your parenting. But there is a fine line of being a thoughtful parent and an overbearing parent. So let's talk about that. What is that fine line? Well, let's take a look at this. Proverbs 22.6. This is what the Bible has to say about parenting. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a principle. But notice what it says. It says train up a child in the way that they should go. It does not say will go. It says should go. So we have a responsibility to show them Jesus Christ in our life, in the life of our family, and we should train them up, teaching them what it means to know who God is, to know who God is, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. They need to understand what it means to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. There is a fine line between parenting and helicopter parenting. Now, there's no perfect definition of what a helicopter parent is. We've all heard this, right? Helicopter parenting right? We, there's no really definition, but we all know what a helicopter parent is, right? We could, we, we could probably think of two or three parents that, oh, they're a helicopter parent. They just kind of hover over their kids all day long, right? So we might know a couple. We might have a hard time defining it. We might know a couple, but the thing is, no helicopter parent ever admits they're a helicopter parent. So we probably have some recovering helicopter parents even in this very room today. And if that's the case, then that's okay. That's all right. Welcome. <laughs> but what is a helicopter parent? This is the best definition I could find. A parent who takes an overprotective or excessive interest in the life of their child or children. 
All right, so let's take a look at symptoms here. Just like symptoms when you look at a vial of medicine or when you go to WebMD, you may be a helicopter if one or more of these symptoms occur. Repeatedly bringing your child's lunch, backpack, and gym clothes to school when the child leaves it behind. You may be a helicopter parent. You manage your high school student's day planner to keep track of due dates. You may be a helicopter parent. You require your child to bring hand sanitizer everywhere, that they, everywhere they go. You may be a helicopter parent. And you have your child signed up for more than two extracurricular activities during one season, and even two can push it. You may be a helicopter parent. Now, you might be. You might be. But you need to seek immediate attention if one of these is your symptoms or one of your, if you have uh, kids raising, uh, if your kids are out of the house and they have kids now, they may be a helicopter parent and they need to seek immediate attention if any of these occur. Number one is they refuse to take the training wheels off the child's bike when they're 15. You get attention on that. You spend time researching and posting on Facebook the dangers of regular household items or foods more than you spend time with your kids. You have stayed up to finish your child's assignment even though your child has gone to bed. And here's one, and I'm serious about this one. You refuse to go on dates because you don't trust anyone but yourself to watch your kids. And that's a real one. It's always good to laugh at ourselves, right? Because you know what? The thing is, is that we all have control issues. Some of these things, I'm sure we are all guilty on some of those things on one level or another. But here's the thing. Let's admit it. Uh, if you're a parent, if you're already a parent or you're not parenting yet, we all have the tendency that we want to control kids, that we want to take care of them because we love them. But listen, the reason why we are scared is because the world peddles fear every day. Everything we see on the news is bad. And if we're lucky, we might get a good end story, but sometimes that's not even guaranteed. Helicopter parenting centers around fear-based parenting as opposed to God-centered parenting. And you can be a follower of Christ and still parent in fear, still be a helicopter parent. In the pursuit of trying to have your kids get good grades, friends, being good at sports, receiving good scholarships, and going to good colleges and hoping, hoping that they will live happily ever after, uh, listen, if you're going to helicopter them in the process of all those things, you will actually hasten the very thing that you are afraid of. You actually hasten the very thing that you do not want to happen. And we see research backing this up. And many, uh, many studies are emerging of the adverse effects of helicopter parenting. Many colleges are reporting there's an increase in parents treating professors like they're fifth grade teachers. In fact, some schools have put up during parent orientation and kid orientation, no hovering zone. You cannot hover here. Many colleges, are, uh, many colleges have noticed students, because they've been hovered, because they've been micromanaged, have a tendency to now they're emotionally fragile and they're paralyzed with everything by fear. And this would explain the rise of politically, uh, political correctness. When minor issues that you, you were able to agree to disagree in the past, now they become major issues. And now the emotional, uh, someone being emotional, fra emotionally fragile is broken by the littlest thing. So much offense. So much offense. And you know what? My phrase is, please, less offense, please. Less offense, please. We don't need to get offended over that, Right? We don't even get offended over that. But see, the thing is, is I would, you ask a helicopter parent, and they're like, well, I don't want them to be offended on that. But see, the thing is, you're hastening the very thing you're afraid that's going to happen by hovering. You're not giving them the life skills. And you're not focusing on the things that you should be focusing on. 
In fact, studies from Stanford, the Journal of Adolescents and Christian Colleges, and others are showing that there is a mental health crisis emerging across America because so little is being asked of our kids when it comes to life and spiritual skills, yet so much is being asked of academics and extracurricular activities. Do not get me wrong. I am for academics. I am for extracurricular activities. But the problem here, and what they've pointed out in these research studies, secular research studies, is that so little is being asked of life skills and spiritual life. That's a problem. That is a problem. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we should strive for, to, be, uh, to give God our glory in everything. But you can see what we're missing out most on when we're hovering, is we're forgetting about Jesus. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear undermines, trust strengthens. So what should we do? Uh, if if we, we could spend a whole year on this subject alone, what should, we do? what should we do? Let's make clear, there's a fine line between being a parent who leads in faith and one who leads in fear. So we need to talk about helicopter pre prevention. Number one, you have the responsibility to lead your children. Listen, if you have kids out of the homes, you write these down because this is, you need to help guide parents today. You have a responsibility to lead your children at home. Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know what's really interesting about that word discipline in Ephesians 6, 4? In the original language, that word discipline, when you unpack that word, this is what it means. A whole education of a child, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals, especially teaching on how to know God. Now, one little word. It's how to know God. And yet, for many, we're missing it. In, in the pile of to-do things on your, on your calendar, the pile of extracurricular activities, in, in the fear that somehow my kid will not measure up and not get into the same college, they will not measure up and get into the right job, that somehow they will not live happily ever after. But listen, this world's just the prelude to eternity. And Jesus said it like this. What use is it if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? You're putting on a religious act in front of your kids or in front of your grandkids. You need to demonstrate a real relationship with Jesus because that's the beginning, the foundation for them to learning what it means to know God. Kids can be fooled when they're two, but at four or five, they begin to see inconsistencies. And by the time they're 12, they start leveraging those inconsistencies against you. Not every, I'm not saying we need to be the perfect parent because there is no perfect parent, but we need to strive right now to be like Christ. Because we can start now if we haven't been doing it. This means that church is a must, even if your child or your grandchild does not want to go. When they get out of the house, then okay, they, they're, they're responsible. But I hear this often, often, Andy, I just don't want to force my kid to go to church. I just don't want them to, I just don't want them to be force fed. And, and it's all about your approach. It's all about your approach. If people see Jesus in your life, and they have a space to experience Jesus, they're not going to say, my parents were heavy-handed. But if they're going to say, why haven't you memorized 35 verses? You've only gotten 30 verses. That, that, that happened to me as a kid. God bless you, Dad. <laughs> but that's, that's hard, right? I don't have good memories about that. It's all about your approach. Because here's the thing. People let church, people, parents let uh, kids have church uh, be, be something that's optional. But would you let a sixth grader decide that he's not going to school because he just doesn't want to? Mom, Dad, I just don't want to go to school. You're going. 
I don't want to. Oh, okay. Billy doesn't want to go to school today. He doesn't want to learn. That's okay. You don't have to go anymore. You know, no, wrong, eh, wrong. I think it's against the law. I don't think you can even do that. But even of the extracurricular activities, oftentimes I hear parents signing them up saying, you have no choice in this. But for whatever baffling reason, oh, we don't want to push them away. They don't have to go to church. Jesus says, what use is it if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? We need to take the opportunity to put our kids and our grandkids in a place that they are going to grow or at least see Christ in action and operating in people's lives. I'm not guaranteeing you any silver bullet. No program in the church is a silver bullet, right? You could go through, I, I, we can't guarantee the next Billy Graham, but what I can guarantee you is that they will encounter people encountering God. I think the real reason why many of us quit bringing up our kids and in the instruction of the Lord is because we fear pushing them away. But when they meet Jesus, true love will cast out all fear. And when we as a parent and as a child live by faith and not by fear, we open ourselves up to fail forward. You get that? We will fail in life. People are so afraid of failure that they bubble wrap their kids, send them out and say, do not do anything that can get you hurt or, or, or take any opportunity. And for crying out loud, if God calls you to something absolutely big, it has to go through the could it fail or could it hurt you phase. Listen, we need to be about what God's calling is in our kids' lives and we need to make it operational in our lives that we help our kids discover what God has for them in their life. And that leads me to the second thing is that we cannot live uh, through the lives of our kids. Living your life through your child dishonors them and perhaps the call of God has on their life. You, know, you see it all over. Kids, the parents that have these uh, regrets that they want to live through their kids and hopefully they can achieve the goals they never achieved. Listen, if your kids want to do that, all the power to them. But when the kids don't want to do that, listen, we wound them and we don't honor them as a person. Remember my dad... Yeah, I remember one time I was playing soccer in 1989, second grade soccer team. I remember my dad on the, on the sidelines and he was yelling at the, the coach saying, hey, you know, my son's not getting equal playing time. And I'm like, oh no, don't do this, dad. This is not how you become a good soccer player. And, and uh, he goes, oh, he's not getting good equal time and uh, equal playing time. And the coach is like, yes, he is. No, you're not. And I heard this, you check your math, you check your math, you check your math. And I'm like, oh man, can I just go home? And you know, but the thing is, it's like my dad wanted me to be this awesome soccer player. And, and you know, I played soccer in high school. I really enjoyed it, but, but like, he was taking a battle that I, he didn't need to battle. And today, many parents are trying to push vocation, their vision for their kids, and parents need to be pushing their kids to see God's vision for their life. I think a tall tale sign if you're living through your child is you begin to talk as we. For instance, we signed up for the ACT today. We're going out for basketball. You are too? <laughs> Ask your kids their heart whether God-given dreams, and make sure their dreams are from God, because listen, I'm not, their, their dreams may be, may be really off, and that's where you need to guide them the way that they should go. Finally, parents need to show grace to other parents. Parents, whew, I tell you what, sometimes they can be really disgraceful to other people. We need to show grace to each other because Christ showed grace to us. Here's the thing. I'm going to end with this. Verse 416. So we have come to know and believe the love the Lord God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Number one, here's what you should fear. Fear if you do not have Jesus Christ as your savior. He's made you to be with him. And secondly, I want you to name your fear. 
Maybe it's your children. Maybe you have wavered grandchildren. Maybe you have wavered kids this morning. I want you to name that fear. So we're going to close it here. And like I said, we could, we could go months on this subject. But I just want to get us a taste of why do we do what we do? And oftentimes, it's fear. So let's pray. I want to give you opportunity to respond to God. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray if there's anybody in here that uh, does not know you as Savior, God, I pray that right now they would know that they can know you. They could put the rest of their fear of where they're going. And God, I pray that today everybody could walk out of this place knowing they have a relationship with you and that they're going to heaven. Father, I pray that they would say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong. I've sinned. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I want to follow you now. God, I pray that that would be the reality if anybody is doubting in this room right now. And God, I pray now that we would all name our fears. Maybe it's the fear of the future. Maybe it's the fear of aging. Maybe it's the fear of our kids or our grandkids. Maybe it's the fear of our job. Maybe it's the fear of retirement. God, I pray we name these fears right now. In the name of Jesus, we would say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we believe this, God, because you tell us this in your Bible. God, we want to be a people on mission, not driven by fear, but by driven by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray Pray for the wayward child, the wayward grandchild, God. Release them from the bondage of this world, and God, release your Holy Spirit into their life to open their eyes to say, God, I need you. I need you. We pray this, God, and we all collectively together say this expectantly. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.